we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Now you may be seated. They are, they are the future leaders of this church, and they're leading us right now even, right? And so, uh, hey, thank you students again for le- helping lead us in worship this morning. Hey, I want to say welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us, whether you are down there at True Worth. I hope you're finding the expanded opportunities down there helpful to you wherever you are there in that facility. And those that are online who continue to join us from near and far, it still blows my mind that so many of us joined us in this way. I know we have some folks over in the sanctuary this morning. Thank you for finding a got nice little space over there. And it's just good to see you here uh, in the ark this morning. Man, it's, it's beginning to feel a little bit more like normal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Can I say thanks be to God for feeling like a little bit more like normal? Yeah, thanks be to God. It's just so good to see you here. Yeah. Uh, if you're new, if you're new, I'd really like to, to meet you. Uh, if you're online and you're new, please communicate right there in the chat down there at True Worth. Uh, you can let somebody know right there on site. We'd like to kind of help you take your next step, or at least get to know you, exchange a name. We would appreciate the opportunity to do that. Uh, this is Holy Week. And if you're a believer in Christ, this is the most important week of the year. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you're welcome here. I want to reiterate that always. Uh, if you're someone who's struggling with faith and doubt, you're not even sure if this church thing is a, is a good thing or an okay thing, and you just kind of, you're here under coercion or just questioning, you, you are more than welcome here. I want you on. But if you do call this your church home or you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the most sacred and holy time of the year. And this is the time of the year that we are challenged to really make space for God to speak to correct, to move, to touch us, and to help us hear a word from him about the cross and the empty tomb. And that is why Cheyenne gave you so many opportunities. I'm going to make sure you heard them because she said there's going to be a pop quiz, right? And so an open book quiz right here to kind of help remind you what's happening this week to help you make space for God. Now, this is not on the screen, but I would remind you about your life steps. Download the app, and on your life steps right there, it's going to get every week, every day this week, a special scripture question and a prayer for you to kind of guide us as we move in toward the empty tomb and then on this thursday you want to pick up your communion kit those yellow boxes before you leave the building if you want to have help with the communion and then join us online at seven o'clock for our monday thursday service we're going to guide you in your home or in your small group in a very personal take about 20 to 30 minutes very meaningful communion experience and then when you get your communion kit make sure you get one of these rocks I'm carrying mine with me here this morning. I kind of have it. And on the other side, it says, pray for the one more. And that's you thinking and praying for the person that God is going to ask you to invite to join us for Easter weekend. But before Easter is Friday night. And Friday night is Good Friday. And we're having a service at 6 o'clock online and on site. We're going to live stream it at 6 and 7.30 in the house where we go to the foot of the cross. And it's only about the cross. It's interactive. It's visual. It's impactful. If you've never been a part of a Good Friday service, you've not yet fully experienced what Easter can be like. I want to ask you to please consider being a part as many of these things, making space in your life for God. And one more thing about Easter. Easter is next weekend. I mean, it's here already. Is there someone who's waiting for an invitation from you? 
there are some of you who have never, ever invited someone to join you in your faith community. You've never done that. Some of you spent a long time. I want to challenge you this week really to take this walk and take it seriously, to pray over it and just asking, listening for God's direction on someone you can invite, someone. There's someone who wants to be invited. I hear this all the time uh, from people and when I kind of out, out in the community and they'll say, Pastor, I heard a lot of great things about your church. I said, well, man, why don't you come join us sometime and, and try and check it out? I said, yeah, well, no, I, I've been thinking about it, but nobody's invited me. Well, I, I just give them an invite right there. And I know people don't have to have an invite to come. But sometimes it takes that. They can know they're welcome. And it, it can be life-changing. It can change a whole family tree. Some of you know this firsthand. It's changed your family tree. It's changed your whole legacy. So please, you know, think about it. Take, and next week we're going to introduce what our new message series is going to be about. Uh, it's going to be about relationships. We'll talk more about it next weekend because we're thinking that everybody wants better relationships, right? I mean, we all have boundary issues. We're going to talk about boundary issues and relationships and what the Scripture has to say about it. So you invite someone that you think would really flourish in their life because they're going to come back because of all the relationships. We all want them to get better, okay? Now, I will tell you what the word is next week for Easter. It's going to be an awesome word. We're going to finish this series next week. But I'll, I'm not going to tell you because some of you wouldn't come back. So I'm, I'm just not going to tell you what the word is. So you've got to come back next week, join us online to find out what the final word is. But our word this morning is the word help. And I'm going to pray because the word help really is a prayer. And God, before we open up your word this morning, again, we just stop to acknowledge who you are. And we don't open up this book casually cavalier we know there's this book is set aside it's different than any other book because it's your word from your mind and your heart to us it is the inspired word from you you have breathed life into it in this book there is healing in this book there is hope in this book, God, we find the very words of life. So speak to us. However many people there are, God, speak a fresh individual lesson to each person, whatever they need to hear this morning, God. May your resurrected spirit do a new thing in us. In Jesus' name, amen. In your notes right here, let's dive right in your message notes if you're keeping notes. Number one in your notes, the word help. Help is a prayer, confession, a prayerful confession of need. That's what the word help is. That's our word this morning. It is a prayerful confession of need. Sometimes we pray because we need help. Sometimes we pray because somebody else needs help. One of the first times I ever had, had the privilege of teaching in a church that talks back at you while you're teaching I learned some very important lessons. And one of the things I learned that when the teaching is going well, they say things like, well, 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 yeah, yeah, bring it, teach it, yes, 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 yes. But when the teaching is not going very well, they say, they say things like, help him, Lord. <laughs> help him, Jesus. Now I'm telling you, when you're preaching one of those places for the very first time, the last thing you want to hear in the middle of your message is, help them, Lord. <laughs> now, you might, I, I needed help. I just didn't want everybody else to recognize it and know it, too. <laughs> I didn't want to admit. Sometimes I want everybody else to know, man, that I need help. 
Isn't that strange about us? 35 years ago, at the church that I was a part of out in Odessa, Texas, right before Dallas and I and Justin came here, uh, the General Assembly of our denomination met there. And one of my jobs and responsibilities was to go to the airport and pick people up and take them to places they needed to go. And I picked up this one gentleman who's very smart. He's from the Northeast Ivy League a degree. He was uh, just highly intelligent IQ, and he spoke. He was British, so he spoke with a British accent. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime I talk around someone who has this proper British-English accent, it feels like my IQ shrinks about 20 points because those people just sound smart. If you're here, you just sound, we just love to hear you talk. You just sound smart. And I didn't want this guy to think I was dumb. I wanted him to think that I was smart. But 40 minutes later, for a 20-minute drive to where he was supposed to be, he said, might we be lost? And I quickly had to decide, am I going to humble myself and come clean and admit that I need help, that I'm lost, or am I just going to bluff my way through it? And so I'm coming clean this morning. I was lost. Now, I just decided to come clean this past week. It's been 35 years. <laughs> I'm just saying it for the first time publicly right now. He never knew. He's dead and gone to be with Jesus unless Jesus told him. He didn't really know. He probably did know. But I'm just now coming clean. Back then, I just kind of, nope. Why is it you and I just don't like to ask for help? We got all these reasons. It makes me look weak if I ask for help. Maybe sometimes I don't realize I need help. I, I don't want somebody else to kind of move in and take control because if I ask for help, then they'll, they'll take over and I'll kind of be in the back seat. All sorts of reasons why we don't do it. Does anybody know the gender that most reluctant to ask for help? Who is it? Yeah. <laughs> they did a survey. Interesting find that even in the world of GPS, the average male drives around 276 hours a year lost as a goose. Because <laughs> he's not going to ask for help. Not going to even admit it that he's lost. Now, this is such an issue that they're training barbers, because men are now going back to barbers more and more, barbers, to have a conversation with the male to help him understand that he needs help, thinking that if he has a steel sharp object at his throat, he'll admit it. We men need help learning how to say help. So I thought we would kind of level the playing field here this morning. I thought I would have uh, us turn to each other and everybody to say, you know, I need help. But I know some of you won't say it because that would be too vulnerable and you're just not going to do it. So instead, just turn to the person next to you very gently and very kindly. Look them in the eyes and go, you need help. <laughs> uh, some of you didn't like that, did you? <laughs> in your notes, number two, the great danger without help. Problems can turn into a full-blown crisis. When you don't ask for help, a little bitty, tiny little bitty problem, a full-blown 
traumatic crisis, family dysfunction that creates legacies in your family because one little thing was ignored and said, I can do it by myself. What starts off is a little conversation about your budget and your finances turns out to a shameful conversation about debt and runaway bills. What started out as a little behavior issue turns to a full-blown addiction. What starts out as a little conflict in the relationship turns into divorce. What started off is a problem with procrastination. You end up unemployed. What starts off as a little problem with being flirtatious. And now there's an affair. Ignoring little bitty problems. And believing that you can do it all by yourself and figure it out. And you don't need help because of your pride and because of your honor. Can result in a full-blown disaster. And the fact that you and I need help reveals a key to our identity of who we are and who we're not and our need for God in our life because of our spiritual condition of not being able to fix everything and take care of everything on our own. And in the Bible, one of the greatest words for God is God is my help, God is my helper. This on the screen right here from Hebrews chapter 13. Can you put that up there, please? So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I come to him, you will help me. And I will not be afraid, and I am confident in that. Before we go to the word here in John chapter 2, here's the central part of this message. This is, it's a wordy, but it's just kind of full and rich. I want you to hang on to this. Go back and mold over in your brain this week. Number three, we are made to live in continual, joyful dependence on God. That's how God made you. In the context of surrender, where I surrender to him knowing I need help with him in this interactive friendship, this interactive relationship with God. See, you and I think that joyful dependence is a sign of weakness. And it's just the opposite. In Jesus Christ, joyful dependence brings, gives you strength, not weakness. And it gives you life. And it gives you power. But you've got to surrender and acknowledge you need help. And I'm going to say it again. If you stick there with your arms folded, all arrogant and boastful and mighty, and you think you can do it all by yourself, you're setting yourself up for disaster. A full-blown crisis. Now, we're in John chapter 2. The story is about a wedding. Jesus goes to a wedding. 
This really is about the power of the kingdom of God breaking into our life. This is what this story is about, the kingdom of God breaking into our life. Artists love this, this story, lots of art about this story, lots of songs written about it. It's a lovely story. People have read it, and, but so many folks have missed the core, the depth of what, what this story really means. I'm hoping today, for some of you hear this story for the first time, even though you've heard it thousands of times. And so let's read it. Let's just read it. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, hey, they have no more wine. Five words. They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Very important observation. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, hey, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, I'm here to testify. I've never been at a wedding where something didn't go wrong. Somebody forgets the line. Somebody drops the ring. Some child freaks out and throws a fit right in the middle of everything. Divorced parents argue, can't get along, create drama, bribe, won't stop crying. Never been to a wedding where something hadn't gone wrong. Serious, lighthearted, at our wedding something went wrong. You know, you cannot perform a wedding. Now, I can't perform a wedding without the marriage license in hand. It's a legal document. You've got to have it. It's a legal ceremony. So at our particular wedding, our marriage license was locked up in the pastor's office. He wasn't doing the wedding, but it was in his office. He wasn't even at the wedding. So I had to get a knife from the kitchen and break into the pastor's office. I thought, here they come, the police. He's in the dress. You know, on the day of our wedding, we couldn't have got married. Don't you like the hair? Yeah. <laughs> I so wish. Uh. At this wedding, they ran out of wine. And some of you think, no big deal. It's a big deal. Back in their day, hospitality and a certain order of decorum and parties and festivals and celebrations and wine was a part of it. And it was shameful embarrassing a legal action could even be taken against you that is the setting for the very first prayer that's spoken to jesus and the very first prayer was to jesus was they've run out of wine it's really a prayer so i just got to stop and ask you what are you running out of Maybe you're running out of courage. 
Maybe you're running out of energy. Maybe you're running out of faith. Maybe you're running out of joy. Maybe you're running out of peace. What are you running out of? Who are you talking to about it? Who are you asking for help? Are you going to God and telling God what you are running out of? Mary goes to Jesus, God in the flesh, and says, they're running out of wine. We've got a problem here. Now, we don't know exactly why she goes and asks Jesus. Maybe she was the wedding coordinator. Maybe she was a friend of the family, and she didn't want them to have the embarrassment of, we don't know why. But all we know is she goes to Jesus and she speaks these little words. They run out of wine. I kind of think it was the disciples. The disciples got invited to the party also. Do you see that? The disciples were invited. They were a rough crew. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They're following the most interesting man in the world. Maybe their motto was, stay thirsty, my friend. And they drank all the wine. So she came to Jesus because the disciples ruined the party by drinking all the wine. We don't know exactly why. But I want to say this to somebody. I want to say this to somebody here this morning who doesn't think you know how to pray. I want to say this to somebody this morning who doesn't think, who doesn't think you're good at praying, so why should I? You don't even pray out loud in your home by yourself. I want you to notice this prayer of Mary's. The mother of Jesus. It's not fancy. It's not wordy. It's not eloquent. Not a lot of these and thous and holier than thou stuff. You'd never find it on a poster or, or a sub, like the Lord is my shepherd. Or our Father who art in heaven, they ran out of wine. You might see that at Lone Oak Winery, but you're not going to find it in any Christian bookstore. And yet, it's exactly the prayer that she utters in your notes. Prayer is less, number four, what I say and more about to whom I say it. Your prayer is not about you being eloquent and wonderful and smart and theologically accurate and having all this verbose churchy knowledge out of your mind. It's the person to whom you speak your prayer, whatever you speak. This whole story hinges on these five little words that Mary spoke. Jesus came to this wedding with no idea of doing a miracle. He wasn't going there to teach a lesson, to preside at the wedding. He was going because he was invited to the wedding. He only does the miracle because Mary speaks to him and says, we got a problem, and the problem is there is no more wine. Jesus did what he did because Mary did what she did. She prayed and spoke those five little words.
It wasn't what she said. It was who Jesus was. I love the response of Jesus. You have to kind of appreciate what's going on here to know the humor of it. He turns to her and he says, woman, isn't that, hey, young men, don't go home if your mother asks you a question and say, woman. (laughs) Don't do that. Say, mom, please, or something like that. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I'm glad you were laughing there a little bit because I think you've got to understand, maybe kind of think about the relationship between Jesus and his mother to kind of get the drift of what's going on here. And a lot of theologians will, will kind of say that, that Jesus and his mom kind of had this playful kind of bump your elbow kind of relationship here kind of going on. And, you know, they were kind of ragging each other a little bit. Any, any moms in the house or online or, or True Words or down there at the same story that are like at our house have a mother who all you have is boys in the house. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Here's what I know about moms who only have boys in the house. If you don't have a little bit moxie in you, you're not going to survive. Because my boys, they call my mom, they call my wife all the time, still grown men, and they ask her questions. They try to take her down paths to just kind of mess with her and to kind of get in her head and kind of give her a hard time. And all of a sudden, she's going down the, the, word, the word with them, and all of a sudden, she figures what they're doing. She comes back with a comment. And it's kind of like they're going to lash back at her and say, woman, why are you involved me in this? I mean, she puts it right back on them. Jesus says, woman, mom, why are you involving me in this? He didn't answer her question. He didn't answer the prayer right then the way she thought he was going to. You ever ask Jesus a question, a prayer, and he didn't give you the answer that you wanted? Right when you wanted? Hey, Jesus, the cancer's back with the vengeance. I got this kid. I just don't know what to do with him. Help me, Jesus, with this kid of mine. My, my, my little girl, my little baby, she's, she's sick. She's ill. And I, I don't know what to do. Could you? He's walked out the door. He said he's not coming back. Jesus! Will you help me? Church, I wish I could give the answer. I don't know the perfect answer of why. You don't always get the answer that you want in your prayers, in the timing that you want them or need them. I wish I could tell you exactly. But here's what I do know. I believe with all my heart that Jesus hears your prayers, that God knows your prayers, and God cares, and he will answer. He said, my hour has not yet come. The whole story has not yet been told. And I will tell you, the whole story has not yet been told yet for your life either. And he hears, and he knows, and he cares, and he wants to be your helper and your tower of refuge and strength. Even when the circumstances stink. He is with you in the middle of it, and he cares. 
And this story is so powerful. I wish I could have been there to notice the, the facial expressions so, because he, he kind of responds to Mary and Mary kind of ignores him. And in verse 5, look at verse 5, what Mary says. This is a powerful lesson. She just turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. I love this. She didn't respond to Jesus. She didn't ask him, hey, are you going to do something about this or not? She just turned to the servants and said, do whatever he asks you to do. And church, I will tell you, those were our instructions. If you want to leave with one thing this morning, here are your instructions. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. In fact, in your notes, if you want your prayer to be effective, number five, my help prayer is more effective when I do what God asked me to do. In fact, if I do what God asked me to do, I might not need to ask him to help me with what I just did. Do what he asked you to do. If you want to see water turn into wine in your life, if you want to see the dirty water, the stinky, smelly stuff in your life turn into a miracle, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven break into your life while he is doing up there to do it in the here and now and this very thing, do what he asks you to do. Love your neighbors. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Take care of the poor. Feed the hungry. Let your light so shine that they can see your good works that will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Go ye therefore into all the world, baptize them in the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach them one more and one more and one more and one more to do everything that I have commanded you. If you want to see God do a miracle in your life, it begins with you doing what he has asked you to do. Changes everything. I think this is such a fascinating story. If someone asks you and you invite them to come to worship on Easter, hey, tell me what kind of church is Pathway Church? Just say, we're a do-whatever-he-says kind of church. That puts it pretty simple because he's the one we follow, Jesus. This is an amazing statement out of Mary's mouth. She doesn't un understand why Jesus doesn't do exactly what she's, she doesn't know what's going on in his head. And then the fascinating things happen. I love how the servants respond. There's so much dynamics here going on in the story. It's a great little lesson. I love this. And here's how the, she tells the servants. Okay, servants, sir, servants, just do whatever he says. Then Jesus, 
Doesn't speak to his mom. He turned to the servants in verse 7. Look what he says. Okay, guys. Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the what? To the brim. Did he tell them to fill it to the brim? Nope. He just said fill them. Anybody ever tried to walk around carrying 150 gallons of water? Do you have any idea how heavy that is? I promise you, you're trying to let it down as quickly as you can. You're trying to find to empty some out because it's not so much of a load because it will break your arms and your hands and your grip. It's heavy, heavy, heavy. They could have just filled them two-thirds. But they would have missed out on 50 gallons of miracle. Scripture says they filled them to the brim. They didn't know who Jesus was yet fully. They didn't understand what's going on here. They're just doing what good servants do. Good servants, when they're asked to do something, they don't do it halfway. They don't cut corners. They were being obedient, and they filled it to the brim. And Jesus is just kind of beaming while they're doing that because he knows what he's about to do. He's going to turn H2O into Merlot. <laughs> and they're going to get more than they bargained for. Yeah. There's an old saying that goes, if you want Jesus to fill a thimble, take him a thimble. But if you want him to fill a bucket, you bring the bucket. And I'm asking you, what are you bringing to Jesus to fill? A little or a lot? He's got all you want and all you can handle and more. What are you bringing to Jesus? What are you asking him to take care of these little pity little things? All oh, the amazing fill it to the brim stuff that he wants to do in your life. So let me make sure I'm very clear about this. No misunderstandings. If you want God to be your helper, don't do this. Don't go, God, if you will do this, then I will do that. If you will do this, God, then I will trust you and I will believe. You don't start with you. You start by filling it to the brim. <laughs> you start by doing what he asks you to do. And if you're going to be an encourager, you encourage somebody with no negativity and no discounts all day long. If you have a job, and it's an eight-hour job, you don't put in seven hours and 45 minutes. You fill it to the brim. And when your spouse or your children, you say you're all in to help, you don't help just a little bit. You help and you fill it to the brim. And when you fill it to the brim, you're setting yourself up for the miracle of God to show up in your life in incredible and powerful ways. Don't you test God. He's testing you and me. And he is faithful. And he will build your helper. One of the things I love about this text is when you serve, when you fill it to the brim, you get to be a part of the miracle. The wedding got saved. Everybody agree the wedding got saved? Plenty of wine for everybody. Who knew how it happened? The bridegroom didn't. The master didn't. The wedding coordinator didn't. Who knew how it happened? Who knew? 
the servants knew, the Bible says. You want to experience and see firsthand water being turned into wine? Listen to me. I'm going to say with love in my heart, you get off your butt and you start serving God somewhere. You get engaged in what God is doing. And when you get engaged in what God is doing, the servants always know you get to see the miracle because you're right up there firsthand. Can you imagine? Can you imagine later on in life? Can you imagine? Can you imagine when they went home that night after the miracle, the wedding? And they get home and the spouse says, Well, tell me, what happened? Was the wedding, how'd the wedding go? <laughs> you're not going to believe it. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine when Jesus is crucified and resurrected? Can you imagine when they're old and gray and their grandkids come to them and they say, hey, Papa, do you, do you, do you, do you, were you, were you there? Were you, were you there? I was there at that wedding. In fact, I helped Jesus. Oh, really? What'd you do? I jumped to the brim and I saw it. Whew. Church, it's time to get in the game and see up close and personal what God is doing. Now, there's something about this story that kind of bothers me. And what bothers me in this story right here is that uh, they turn this water into wine, and there are a bunch of people there who all of a sudden get to drink more. And I know there are many of you here who can hear my voice right now. Alcohol is a problem for you. It's ruined your life. It's destroyed your family. But the miracle of this story is that because of what Jesus did, he revealed the power to set anyone free. If you come to me, I can set you free from that. And, you, and here's the thing I want you to grab right here. And this is the final number six here in the notes. Here's the final thing in your notes. is that God will help me with my problems so God can use me to help other people with their problems. I don't care whatever problems you're going through, alcohol, grief, struggling, anger, whatever, that God will heal you. God, help me, help me, help me. And he will unleash a power in you to bring you healing. But then, you've got to go help somebody else. The miracle is not the water that will turn into wine. The miracle is that heaven was unleashed and it spread out into all these other people. And when Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, his blood flowed like wine. Like the promise of the cleansing of the baptismal waters of cleansing you of your sins. But Jesus came not just to do that. He came to elevate your life to where you really experience life. The wine, the life, the joy, and the abundance and the bubbly that is in Jesus Christ. The fullness of that. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. When you're inviting someone to Easter, let's not water this thing down. Here's a little, here's a little quote here, kind of soaring Kierkegaard quote. I want you to see this right here. This really disturbs me. Christ turned water into wine, but the church is doing something even more difficult. It has turned the wine into water. We have watered down 
the power of life in Jesus Christ. And without God, without God, that's what we do. There's no bubbly, there's no fizz, there's nothing. But I want to tell you, God wants to do a miracle in you. And God wants to do a miracle for you. And God wants to do a miracle in your life. And it's more and bigger and more extravagant than giving you a good job and a good house and a good car. It is streams of living water full of joy and hope and peace and love in your life that flows like wine. I've been thinking about this word help. And I think it's kind of fascinating. When Jesus was a little bitty boy, he went to Mary. He said, Mommy, will you help me eat? Will you help me put on my clothes? Will you help me to bed? The king of the universe asking his mommy for help. Every parent, hear my voice. If you live long enough, you will one day ask your children for help. Will you help me get out of the chair? Will you help me get to bed? Will you help me get to the potty? Will you help me eat? When you're born and when you die, somewhere in between some of us get this crazy idea notion that you don't need any help until your body starts to fail you and the doctor gives the diagnosis and a child dies and a spouse walks out the door and you lose your job and all of a sudden you say God help me God help me and when you pray with all your heart and you pour it out to him and you tell him what's gone wrong and what's missing and you tell him what's leaving you and when you fill it to the brim when you fill it all the way to the brim and you do what he tells you to do you know what he says he says come to me all you who are thirsty and I will give you living water and through you will flow streams of living water and my word to you is church stay thirsty Stay thirsty, stay thirsty, my friend. Come on and rain down on us, rain down on us, Lord. Come on, let's stand together, let's ask him for it. Come on and rain down on us, rain down on us, Lord. Come on and rain.
and stay thirsty, my friends. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.